Alright everyone, today's episode is going to be on the opposite end of the family court system, one that we are not too familiar with. Um, We all know about child abuse and divorce and custody battles, but on the other end of the family court system is the guardianship laws, which controls the the estate and, and life of the elderly people. So today we're going to go through a story of two, two men, um, one by the name of Charlie Thrasher out of San Antonio, and another by the name of John Savanovic uh, of Norfolk County, and see how the family court system has screwed them out of their entire life savings. So pay attention and here we go. devastating barren they took this property away from me and they said it was all legal they sold it for just over three million dollars and to this day I never received any proceeds not even two dollars as it is now I'm totally penniless totally penniless and the judge said I'm not allowed any financial resources whatsoever. I'm a ward of the state. Guardianship exploitation is the crime of the 21st century. A guardian has great power. They'd be able to sell a home right out from under people. Relocating you to an assisted living facility. Make banking decisions. Sell the car or begin selling the jewelry. The ultimate goal is to maximize someone's assets. Usually the only way to get out from under a guardianship is through death. I worked on a story about the abuse of guardianship laws. It sounded fundamentally paranoid, this idea that you would like lose your home and your money to the state. I think that the only reason I really looked into it more was because there were so many similar patterns and that seemed unlikely that like all these people would have the same paranoid fantasy. Guardianship derives from the state's power to act as a sort of parent to people. And so when someone is too weak or or vulnerable to care for themselves, the idea is that the state comes in and makes those decisions for the person. And once a guardian becomes a guardian of someone, they assume control of the ward's financial decisions, their decision about 
who to associate with, where to live, what kind of medications to take, what kind of treatments to have. So pretty much all the important decisions in a person's life. Once the guardianship's in place and the guardian comes in, everybody should strive their very, very hardest. And you do their ethical and utmost best to keep the person as vibrant in their community as they can. You don't want a guardian to warehouse you in a facility and to tell you what time to eat breakfast and whether to have Cheerios or Fruit Loops. No, thank you, you don't want that. Can abuses happen? Absolutely. That's not what guardianship ever should be. It should be to maximize people's lives. Yes, good afternoon, uh, attorney Lisa Belanger. My name is John Savanovich, and I need legal assistance. I first got acquainted with John when he left a voicemail for me saying that he had been exploited by his attorneys and that he had been placed under a guardianship. He was crying out desperately for help. I'm still bewildered at how I lost all my property, everything. This is a very personal matter for me. I had been dealing for over seven years trying to extricate my dad from guardianship. Not only am I an attorney, I was an attorney. He was well prepared. He had all his estate planning. And yet, for seven years, they have bled him dry. The court-appointed guardians got the court to throw my family and myself out of our home with my father. I fought like hell to see him. And that battle I did win because I got to see my dad three months before he passed. Unfortunately, I wasn't successful in freeing him from guardianship. But when I heard John's voice, and after talking to him, I knew that this was the one person who might actually get to be saved. I grew up in the town of Needham, Massachusetts. I graduated from Needham High School, late 1950s. I don't have any siblings and uh, I don't have any children. I never married. John was very close with his parents. Unfortunately, his father passed away when John was in his early 20s. And he spent most of his adult life taking care of his mother. I worked in a large electronic company, Radio Corporation of America. They were located in Needham. I retired in... Uh, 2003-2004. John had been living in the house that he grew up in. Right around the corner, he was able to purchase five adjacent properties. His objective was to use that as investment property for the rest of his life. The problems started for John when his mother passed away. He fell into a depression. And that led to him letting the property go into disrepair. A neighbor had 
been complaining to the town officials about the upkeep of his property. I received a formal letter from the Massachusetts Attorney General's office saying that if I didn't respond within 10 days, they were going to take legal action to seize my property. So naturally, I called the Attorney General's office. It was always recordings, recordings. And no one ever contacted me. I left my phone number. I needed a, some kind of legal assistance. So I went to what I thought would be easiest is to seek out the bank that I had the mortgages. And a lady at the bank said, uh, go see Peter Russell. He's very good, need him, attorney. She told me that he's experienced and he'll take care of all the matters involving real estate. There's all these clusters of services that serve older people. And when someone would go to any of those services, there was a kind of referral network. And then in a more sinister way, I found that some guardians would actively recruit, um, sort of put out leads, like people would know to call them when they confronted a older person who had a lot of money. I like helping people, helping their families. They usually come to us in a time of need. If it is emotional, we calm them down. Everything is done openly, honestly, transparently. Pierre Russell was far away from open transparent and honest when dealing with John. When I called him, he said, it's an awful lot of work. I'll need a retainer. I says, all right. And he wanted uh, an amount of $6,000. I said, what do you think is wrong? What's the basic problem? He says, shrubs. I said, what? He says, your shrubs are overgrown and you need a new asphalt roof. I says, I'm well aware of that, but I said, what is the real problem? He says, that's the problem. And he told me that the attorney general has the power to seize your property. John suffered a mild stroke. That mild stroke probably wouldn't have occurred had it not been for the stress that he had been put under. After John suffered that stroke, Peter Russell puts down paperwork in front of him. He said, you just have to sign a document that you're agreeing to do work. So I signed it. John didn't have the wherewithal, especially after suffering an illness, to know that he was signing a durable power of attorney, which meant that basically Peter Russell could do whatever he wanted with John's money. He brought somebody to look at the shrubs where I resided on Highland Terrace. He looks it over that landscaper. He says, oh, that needs a lot of work. He says, why don't you demolish the whole property? It's not worth it. The attorney Russell's also agreed. He says, uh, it's best to sell it off. I says, I, I don't want to. Uh, oh, he says, I've decided it's best that you do. He says, I have power of attorney. He says, if you don't go along, I can have it sold anyway. And boy, then my head was really spinning. I thought, oh boy, he's a real shyster. <laughs> 
John had stated right from the start that when he went to attorney Peter Russell, his whole goal was that he wanted to live in his childhood home, regardless of what John wanted. Attorney Peter Russell sold the property. They demolished everything. Nobody ever notified me to pick anything up. Whatever was there, personal items, furniture, whatever pictures or a few things, I assume it's gone. It's a terrible feeling. I can't describe it. When this person, when he told me on the telephone, my heart went down. The concept of elder abuse, I think, is pretty new. We've had this idea of child abuse since the 70s, and it's like a concept that resonates and that scares people and motivates people. But I think only recently have older people been seen as like a distinctly vulnerable population and a population that also is also growing. You reach the Guardianship Fraud Hotline in the Clerk's Division of Inspector General. My area of expertise and duties is to monitor the guardianship process. In 2011, I created the first guardianship fraud hotline. We started getting calls from all over the United States. That is when I realized this is a national problem. I'm 100% sure this is fraud. I know that the guardian is a chummy friend with the judge. Just got a warrant to remove $350,000 to $400,000 from a durable power of attorney bank account. I know that she will just spend every penny of his money if she can. She I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to stop this from continuing. We would be hearing desperate cries from family members in which they will have contacted the guardian and weren't able to get a copy of their finances. They weren't able to see their bank records. We heard cries that uh, wards were not being uh, fed properly or were given the wrong medication. We heard literally thousands of cases where guardians were using the funds for self-gain and may have even gone so far as to sell the house or the car or selling their paintings without notifying the court. This is an epidemic. The most significant guardianship exploitation case in Nevada history. Former private professional guardian April Parks pleaded guilty to a total of six felony charges. Isolation, over-medication, double billing. The investigators say they helped themselves to their money to fund a lavish lifestyle. Embezzled $4 million to pay for items such as a Mercedes-Benz, tickets to the Final Four, and expensive vacations. Barbara Lieberman. 
The Guardian and prominent attorney ran a scam with the owner of a senior care company and two others. The victims? Their own clients. So the senior citizen who says she had everything taken from her. Her IRA cashed out and her belongings taken. What do you want people to know? Well, I, I think they should be made aware that this, this kind of thing is going on. Good afternoon, everyone. This is uh, Charlie Thrash. I'm on the Thrash Drive Shaft Service and have been for the past, uh, since uh, 1958. On March 6th, 2019, the police showed up and took Charlie away. My son looked up and he said, Mother, there are about six or seven police officers. My head was racing. Charlie's guardian has stated that she uh, feared for Charlie's safety, but there was no emergency. They took Charlie away against his will from his home and from his family. He was terrified and, and it was very, it was heartbreaking and I just felt empty and I have been empty since that day. I believe it was a crime. At least it was a violation of his civil rights under the Texas Estates Code and the Bill of Rights of Wards. A lot of times once people would go under guardianship, usually against their will or sometimes without even knowing what had happened, they were removed from their house. They were separated from their family members, even if the family members wanted to be involved. One scholar I talked to described it as becoming a legal ghost. In 2012, my son Joe was working at CT Thrash Differential and Axle Service. Joe knew that I didn't have a boyfriend, so he decided that it would be great if I went on a blind date with his boss. I met Charlie, hit it off immediately. Charlie was super sweet to me and my whole family. He asked my mom to work at his shop, just doing bookkeeping, cleaning up the shop. They moved in together, fell in love, <laughs> all that. Well, we just spent a lot of quality time together. We were inseparable, day and night. And, um, you know, I cooked for him, he cooked for me. We lived at the shop. Then we started shopping for about a year and a half, two years, started looking for a home. I think what happened in Charlie's situation is that he had been stockpiling money, cash, um, which is not untypical of men of his age, and they're used to keeping money around, don't necessarily trust banks all that much. When he decided that he wanted to buy a home for Laura and he to move into, he then took the cash to the bank to buy a house, and they were shocked. Well, it seems like banks are one of the first front lines to notify APS that there may be something going on with an, uh, an older person's bank account. APS is Adult Protective Services. Their role is to look at people who seem at risk. But one phone call can sort of put people on a path in which they're sort of removed from their life as they know it. Frost Bank, Charlie's principal banking institution, had raised some red flags and reported 
unusual financial activity. Around the time when Charlie bought a new car, he bought a 2016 Corvette automobile, cost over $100,000. He also bought a $750,000 house, and there was an investigation to determine if there was any evidence of exploitation or undue influence. The APS investigation seems like it concluded that there was nothing going on that was wrong in the house. Charlie was not in danger. Laura was doing a good job taking care of him. Charlie and Laura had been together about seven years. Charlie and Laura considered themselves to be married, that they were common law husband and wife under Texas law. I am the one who is actually supporting Charlie, and his wishes are not to have a guardianship. He wants me to be his protector. What's being done to Charlie is, is pretty much a textbook on guardianship abuse process, where you have a person like Charlie and, and Laura who are enjoying their life and being carefree. All of a sudden, a government agency files the application to create a guardianship. And even though there was no evidence that Laura was not acting in Charlie's best interests in their relationship, they're stuck with the court-appointed psychologists or psychiatrists who typically or predictably will say that the person is totally incapacitated, needs a guardian of their person and their estate. Once the courts got involved, they declared him to be incapacitated. And then Charlie ended up into a permanent guardianship. For about a year, John kept asking Attorney Russell and his associate, Nick Louisa, for the proceeds from the sale. And they just simply ignored John and refused to answer his, uh, his inquiries. I never received a portion of the proceeds at all. And I kept asking each month because I would see him or speak to him. He would never respond in any way. Peter Russell had John sign a power of attorney originally, but here's the problem. That terrible power of attorney was specific to that childhood home. John had the five other duplexes, and they needed to be able to have control over those five other properties. The easiest way to do that was through saying that John was incapacitated, because that way they would have complete control over him. Peter Russell and his colleague, Nick Louisa, started orchestrating the guardianship behind John's back. Louisa did all the legwork. It's all there in his own words, in his affidavit. It's a roadmap on how to throw someone into guardianship. From day one, it seems the goal was to get John's properties. Once Louisa and Russell got a few offers, they needed to delay the sale until John was securely placed under a guardianship. That's why they needed a doctor to declare him incapacitated. After I was thinking about it on my own, 
I'm 100% convinced that they've been added. I'm not the first one or the second, because everything went just so smooth. There was no delays, no stops. It just, they knew exactly how to plan it. One day, this man banged on my door. I didn't know that he was a doctor until a couple of months later. He mentioned my name, and he says, you own property on Riverside? And he said, the number of houses, are they for sale? I says, are you an attorney? He says, no. I says, I'm not interested. I says, I need a one house for this to reside in, so. No, he says, you have to sell every one. You can't keep one. As soon as he said that, I knew it was them. I said, I'm not interested. I says, not, not now. I says, I might think about it later on. I says, leave your name and phone number. No. No name, no phone number. Well, I says, discussion is over. So it was barely five minutes. Two weeks later, he reappears. I says, I'm not interested. I says, if you come here once more, I'm making a complaint with the security officer. That man was actually a psychiatrist, and he was the doctor who they hired to write a report stating that John was supposedly incapacitated, and that was used to be able to seal his fate under a guardianship to force him into having these attorneys be able to control his entire life. There is a myriad of people that can begin the process of declaring a person incapacitated. And it can be filed by a family member, it could be filed by a hospital, it could be filed by an assisted living association. Once they are declared as incapacitated, then the court assigns a guardian to them. At that point, the guardian is in charge of all the assets and the person uh, under guardianship. All right. These are hearings in which people are losing basically all their civil rights, and they would sometimes last 30 seconds. The longest hearings would be maybe 10 minutes. And often the wards would not be there. Um, so there would be no opposition to the guardian's suggestion that this person needed to be a ward of the court. They never gave me the slightest indication from anywhere that they were planning this guardianship. I never knew anything like that existed. Well, I found it ironic that the concept of guardianship is based on this idea of benevolent paternalism. And yet, in practice, it often seemed to create this kind of capitalist dystopia. The day John walked into his bank to ask for financial advice, it set the whole process in motion. He gets passed from the bank to an attorney. The attorneys choose the doctor, who declares him incapacitated, once he's declared incapacitated, he's passed on to his guardians. All of these people are paid with John's money. He loses money every step of the way. 
the more he fights to get out, the more the people around him get paid to work on his case, and the more money he loses. Everybody who's involved in that court process, they get paid for emailing each other. They get paid for telephone calls to each other. They get paid for putting stamps on the envelope. When I first met Charlie, we spent a lot of time together because I wanted to be sure if I was going to get involved in his guardianship that uh, I was confident that he had capacity. Charlie uh, appeared to me to be a normal, if not exceptional, 80-year-old businessman. I've known Charlie since I got here in San Antonio, which would be uh, when I was 14 years old. He's like a big brother to me. I come in and help Charlie in the shop. He does everything, and he's known worldwide, so people call him on the phone and tell him that he, they need a special differential setup or a special drive shaft setup made in a special way, and uh, he does that and ships it out all over the world. I think he could have gone for another 10 years without a, without a problem. Charlie's family doctor had given Laura and Charlie a report that in his medical opinion, Charlie did not lack capacity. But when I first looked at the record of Charlie's guardianship, I could see who the players were. The first thing was that he was in Judge Rickoff's court. And I knew from personal experience that Judge Rickoff was inclined to appoint guardians for people that didn't necessarily need them or obviously didn't need them like Charlie. As a result, Charlie was appointed two guardians. Laura became the guardian of his person, and Tanya Marina became the guardian of his estate. Charlie told me he didn't know Tanya Marina. He had heard that she was the granddaughter of one of his brothers with whom he had no relationship, an estranged brother. In the courtroom, when Judge Rickoff said, well, we prefer the family. Is there a family member in the courtroom that would like to volunteer? She got up, raised her hand, and walked up and sat there, and they qualified her as someone who would be a good guardian. The family asked me to step in to apply for guardianship to help Charlie. You know, no, we weren't the closest of family. You know, we don't have annual family reunions. I've never been, we've never had a family reunion as far as I, I've been around. Um, but he's very, very thankful. We're very, we're very close now. This is a very easy entry business. You need to just be registered. There is not even any credentialing for it. As a result of that, there is a segment of society that gets into 
being a guardian because it can be used to gain access to people's checking accounts, to people's finances, and then be in a position to take advantage of that. Once Tanya Barina got the power of the estate, Charlie was forced out of his business. She came early one day before uh, business hours and she locked the shop without giving Charlie any notice or anything. Tanya showed up here and at a locksmith's window. And I asked her, I said, what are you doing here? And she says, I'm helping Charlie. And uh, <clears throat> uh, says, well, you know, I don't think you're helping Charlie. This is Charlie's, this is Charlie's shop and this is Charlie's therapy. This is his, this is Charlie's church. This is, this is what keeps Charlie going. And, uh, and uh, so she said, well, uh, I think you need to leave. I have to make decisions on what I feel is best. He doesn't like all of them, um, but they're for his best interest. And we explain, you know, if, if decisions have to go a different route than Charlie chooses, we explain why. Before the guardianship, Charlie was doing very well. He was paying all of his bills. Now, Charlie doesn't have any money. He's a multimillionaire, and he didn't even have $100 in his pocket. And Laura didn't have money. They had past due bills that were piling up that the guardian, Tiny Barina, wasn't paying. Tiny Barina had closed their bank accounts. And she has decided to sell about a million dollars worth of his assets. Charlie never would have agreed to do that. In Charlie's case, they can probably bleed his estate for at least a quarter of a million dollars a year. Tanya Barina has four attorneys, and they're all billing the estate individually, probably between $250 to $500 per hour. And Charlie doesn't get to have a voice in what's happening in his life and in his estate. I have a team of attorneys um, that I'm extremely close with. So we talk about things, we make decisions as a group. Charlie is involved in every aspect of decisions. You know, he he gives us his opinions and um, and we we go from there. them. It was very hard for me to do my job. Um, so I removed the vehicles to a safer place, if you will. Um, 
Charlie was very successful. And he had a right under the Bill of Rights of Wards to keep possession of all of the personal property that he could afford. Because his guardian is spending far in excess of his monthly income, she has decided he can't afford to keep all of his automobiles or even his house. Um, I don't know what I, it's, a, it's based on a percentage and it's an annual. There's just been no systematic attempt to understand how big guardianship is, how much money um, it controls and the outcomes of these individual guardianships. The Government Accountability Office did a report in 2010. They couldn't find a single website or local or federal or state entity that was keeping track of how many guardianship cases there are. Because there is so little oversight, the ability to discover a guardian who is a predator is very, very difficult. It is a for-profit business, and as a result of that, it can and is exploited. I spoke with Ben Wallace, who was Charlie's attorney during the temporary guardianship. He told me personally that negotiation took place. Charlie's estranged blood relatives had demanded to be paid half of Charlie's estate in order to resolve, compromise, and settle the guardianship action. 50% to the family? That I don't even know where that comes from. I, this is the first I've heard of that. I've, I've never even seen that. I've never, I've never seen that before. That's absolutely, no, no. Mm -mm. So no comment on that. It's been estimated that there is approximately 250 to $300 billion in the hands of guardians. We believe that is a very low estimate. We probably are over 500 billion and probably even closer to a trillion dollars. I had a row of pine trees in the back the last two there and they're all cut. They were well established when I got here 50 years ago. After Peter Russell gets the guardianship into place, they then sell John's five adjacent properties for $3.2 million. The problem is John has absolutely no idea what balance he has left, what the money he's been spent on. They have not kept him informed. For all we know, every cent could be gone. documentary evidence 
that exists from his own primary care physician showing that in no way is John incapacitated. But the attorneys pressured John into an assisted living facility. They insisted. They, uh, they said, it's better for you. And, and he says, we made arrangements. I, d I don't like it at all. How do you remove people from their home and put them in a strange place without any due process? That is cruelty. That's not guardianship. That's an abuse of a system that should never be allowed to happen. There is absolutely no reason why John should be forced to be paying $6,000 a month to be in an assisted living facility when he had a home that was paid off for. At the present time, my income is $300 every 20 days. I buy some groceries. I have to buy the toiletries and paper products, water, milk, and small items. So it adds up today. Everything adds up. I have to pay my medication, and one is quite expensive. So I can't splurge on things. Then I have to watch the balance. I was better off on my own. Another problematic aspect would be that the guardian would be represented by a lawyer who ends up being paid by the ward. But the ward doesn't have access to those funds, so the ward can't pay for his or her own lawyer. That's how they do their dirty work. They do not want him to choose his own attorney because they want an attorney that they already know and who's already working with them. That's the web. I think cronyism is like closely linked to a lot of the counties where there were long histories of dysfunctional guardianships. It wasn't unlikely that there was also some sort of clubby relationship with the guardians and the judges or with a family member of the guardians and the judges. It just seemed too friendly. Tanya claimed a right to be the guardian of Charlie's estate and his person, but she decided, probably on advice from her legal counsel, to hire a professional guardian who had political connections and lived in the same town as Charlie and would be able to control Charlie. My mom was originally the power of the person, so she was just supposed to maintain Charlie's well-being, you know, make sure he's healthy and gets everything that he needs medication-wise. Um, and the judge at the time took that power away from my mom and legally gave it to um, a woman by the name of Mary Warner. Mary is a Texas certified legal guardian. She's actually the wife of the Chavano Park mayor. The allegations were being brought against me, that I had converted all of his assets, his house, his planes, everything under my name, 
which was all false, that I was starving him, that I was beating him up. I mean, on and on and on, just accusations. I'm over him. Okay, got okay. it. Okay. So, so he's eating, Mary. Well, I'm glad to hear that okay. because that's not what I got the phone call. That kind of shocked me that I heard that you weren't eating. That's not true. He is no. eating. I asked Mary Warner to step in as guardian of the person. My team of attorneys know her very well. She's um, she's great at what she does. She came off very strong, um, kind of pushy. Charlie doesn't need that. She was very aggressive, very scary. She sat right here on this couch and pointed at him. I am your new boss, and I'm going to take you to lunch. I'm going to take you to go get a new wardrobe. Put on your shoes. I'm going to take you to eat. The court says you haven't eaten anything. Very aggressive form. Talk to Tanya. Okay. There is evidence that Charlie's in a guardianship that is against his best interests, and that um, his estate is being exploited by the people that have been appointed to manage it. I don't get paid per month, and that's the falsehood that's out there. I don't do it for the money. And I'm not going to talk about Mr. Thrash's estate. We're a definite team, and I rely on her, on her expertise a lot. She loves her awards. Um, she ensures their their safety. She wants them to feel safe. She wants them to feel, um, you know, they're, she just wants them, she makes them feel safe. The courts are concerned, so I'm gonna call them and tell them that I came up and you declined to go with me. makes it much easier for the guardians to start to manipulate Charlie. As far as the court's concerned, he's mentally incapacitated. He's out of the picture. He could be in a nursing home. He can be in a coffin. It doesn't matter to them. And the only ones that are really digging in and fighting, like where is Charlie Thrash, is Laura, Phil Ross, Brittany. They're the ones that are going like, hey, this isn't about the money. This is about the person we love that's missing from our family. Where is Charlie? I, I, I will not disclose Charlie's whereabouts. He was uh, removed from the home for his safety. I just pray for Charlie. I want him to be free and, and happy and at home and at the shop. And that those are his wishes, those are his rights. I'm praying that, that they're not overly medicated him or are brainwashing him against us. Prior to getting the hold of their money, you have to disrupt a person's normal life. You have to take them out of their home and put them in a, 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 an assisted living facility. You have to isolate the family. You have to med over-medicate or under-medicate. 
lot of times once people would go under guardianship, they would receive a, a level of medication that was far greater than the, what they had been doing when they were in charge of their own decisions. And often these would be people who had no mental illness and yet maybe they showed a little signs of dementia, but they would be given heavy antipsychotics, which would really make them very compliant. Um, so they would in some ways become easier wards of the court. Well, they tried a couple of times. For John, this is such an extraordinary case. There is no doubt that this man does not need antipsychotic drugs, that he is a full functioning person. It's extremely rare to be able to find a person who's been placed under guardianship that has not already been destroyed by antipsychotics and able to actually advocate for themselves. The restoration of rights for a person once they have been declared incapacitated is very difficult and very expensive. As a result of that, getting removed from a guardianship situation is extremely rare. I want all my funds returned now, and I want to recoup all the losses that they, they took from me. And those absorbent uh, fees, tens and tens of thousands that they charged for preparing this guardianship, preparing all that paperwork. You'd be shocked if you saw it. You need to hold two hands. A man holds two hands and he walks. You think he was carrying he heavy metal weight. It's all sheets of paper like that, that heavy. Just for me, one person alone. It's unbelievable. A guardian should not have the right to come and create such chaos and to turn your life around and take away your assets and your property and and your rights. Charlie's civil rights have been violated in so many ways that it's hard to even know where to begin. I have no control over what's happening. Um, there's nothing that I can do. You know, for the meantime, um, we just have to follow um, everything. And I'm sorry. <laughs> we just hope that hopefully somebody in the court system can realize what they've done. We've been in court for almost two years now, and it's been over 80 filings since January. Um, anywhere from trying to get, you know, guardians removed. It, you know, it, it's a lot, it, over 80, and they're still coming in. We'll see where it goes from here. I'm not going to let Charlie down. I'm going to keep fighting. I really don't know what the future is going to hold for Charlie. I, I assisted Laura in filing a complaint with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and I believe it is a matter for law enforcement our society has treated any kind of fraud 
or deception of the elderly as a civil offense to be handled through the court system by filing a lawsuit. Why doesn't our society recognize that that is theft and theft is a crime? A guardianship that commits a fraud actually commits a crime. You're left in a fog and you, you say, how can this be happening? And according to the courts, it's all legal. This is a terrible nightmare that just keeps evolving and evolving. This is supposed to be America. wonder what's going on in America today. Can you believe it? I still can't believe it.